Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. You know success when you see it, or you think you do, the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Masters in Business with Barry Ritholtz on Bloomberg Radio. This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. Tom Rampula has been with the Vanguard Group since 1988. He has worked with every CEO, starting with Jack Bogle all the way up to the current CEO, Tim Buckley, and has essentially helped to establish the Financial Advisors Group, essentially the group at Vanguard that works with RIAs and broker-dealers and other uh, financial professionals who provide portfolios, advice, financial plans uh, to the investing public. He has a unique perch from with which to view the financial services industry, both from within Vanguard as well as looking out over the financial landscape and seeing what's going on with such trends as mutual funds, ETFs, direct indexing, the rise of passive, the rise uh, not just of Vanguard, but the dominance of Vanguard and the uh, associated Vanguard effect, the pressure on fees that have helped make investing uh, so affordable. We, we discuss all these things as well as why there has never been a better time to be a retail investor than right now, right here in, in this era. Uh, I found the conversation to be absolutely fascinating, and I think you will also. So with no further ado, my conversation with the Vanguard Group's Tom Rampula. I'm Barry Ritholtz. You're listening to Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio. My special guest this week is Tom Rampula. He is the managing director of Vanguard's Financial Advisor Services Division, where he began back in 2002. That group provides investments, services, education, and research to more than 1,000 financial advisory firms, representing more than $3 trillion in assets. Tom joined Vanguard back in 1988. Tom Rampula, welcome to Bloomberg. Thanks, Barry. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. So so I've worked my way through uh, just about the whole C-suite uh, <laughs> at Vanguard, and I'm glad we finally got to you. Um, tell us a little about, about your plans coming out of college. How did you end up at Vanguard? 
Yeah, uh, believe it or not, Barry, I wanted to go to Wall Street coming mm-hmm. out of school and um, came up to New York. And uh, Wall Street didn't work out for a variety of reasons, but I uh, ended up working sort of in an adjacent industry in the portfolio management software business and really wasn't where my passion was. So decided to make the move from New York to Philadelphia. And I had a friend that worked at Vanguard. I honestly knew nothing about Vanguard. Huh. In fact, I was at a Philadelphia career fair when I first graduated and there was a Vanguard table there. And somebody said, you want to go interview a Vanguard? And I looked and I was like, huh, no, I don't think so. And they said, what do they do? I said, I think that's a supermarket or something like that. So that's how <laughs> close I was. But um, it was really lucky. I had this friend, started Vanguard in March of 1988, quickly realized it was a pretty special place. Um, you know, it's a, it's a place where it's really incredibly mission-driven. It's got such a sense of purpose. We're owned by our clients. All these things that actually took me a while to realize mm-hmm. uh, working there. But yeah, it was a little bit of a by chance. Uh, wasn't really looking for Vanguard, but somehow I found it and got really, really lucky. So, so going back to Philadelphia is not a big change to you. You went. Spain? I went to Bloomsburg University, right. which is a mid-sized school in central Pennsylvania. And State then school. Drexel, which is right in the middle of Philly. Went to Drexel part time while I was at Vanguard. Mm-hmm. Um, did that commute down to Philadelphia from the suburbs, uh, you know, three times a week for a number of years. Which yeah. isn't too bad if you go in the opposite direction of traffic, right? Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> not, not a lot of great mass transit from Malvern to Philly. Not from Malvern to Philly. Actually, right. you could you can you can take the train, but uh, at that time it was a long time ago. I think I graduated in 93. Um, it was more convenient to drive. So so you mentioned uh, Vanguard was a special place when you joined it. It's clearly a different place today than it was in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about what it was like working there, you know, pretty much before Vanguard became the behemoth we know it as today. Yeah. It was a startup. It, it felt like a startup. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't quite a startup. Probably, uh, we probably had 700 employees at the time, but only about 30 billion in assets under management. Right. And we were trying to figure things out and grow. Nobody really cared about indexing. And if they did care about it, it was usually uh, pretty negative thoughts about indexing. You know, we were called un-American. And, right. You know, communist. Why, you were communist. Yeah, that's right. We were communist. Why settle for average? All those things. But, um, you know, Jack Bogle was at the helm when I started. I was fortunate enough to work with him for about eight years. And, you know, he was so passionate about our mission. Um, you know, he would... We had partnership uh, picnic every summer, and he would get up and speak, and it, it would fire you up for the rest of the year. The guy was incredibly inspirational, and you really felt like you were you were taking on the establishment and doing something special. So it was it was really really uh, fun startup, uh, very collaborative, felt like a family, um, and you know it took a while to start growing. To be honest with you, I mean I we really didn't start growing until probably. A, Mid nineties, mm-hmm. you know, started to get a little bit of attention then. Now in the nineties, everybody was growing; stocks were going higher. Right. You're the middle yeah. of a eighteen year or so giant thousand percent bull market. What was Vanguard doing in the mid nineties that finally began to gain traction? Was it was it the underlying philosophy started to find some some adherence, or yeah. was it just the rising tide lifted all boats? No, I think a, I think. A, couple things, Barry. First of all, we, we had some real zealots, you know, the Bogleheads of today, which you, mm-hmm. you're probably familiar with. Sure. Um, they, they stumbled onto Vanguard. We didn't do advertising. We didn't sell. We were, Actually, Jack Bogle wouldn't let us say the word sell or product or advertising. Um, he actually had to put a dollar in a jar near his office if he did. <laughs> um, but, you know, we had something special, and I think people realized that. People may not even really understood that they own the company, you know, by investing in the funds they own the company. But you got this core base of, of people that really uh, identified with Vanguard, felt like they're part of the club, and great word of mouth. 
so that was helpful. We had some great performance from some of our active funds early days, Windsor Fund, John Neff, superstar fund manager. That helped, um, you know, really talking about indexing, Jack taking that on, taking the industry on. People started to get disappointed in performance. You had star managers in the early 90s that sort of the shine came off the star a little bit. Mm-hmm. So indexing had a little bit more of appeal cost. You know, when you really hammer home the what you can control as an investor, cost, it finally started to catch on with people. Like, hey, I can get low cost uh, through indexing and get the market return, which, by the way, over time is pretty darn yeah, good returns. Absolutely. And, and around the same time, you started to see the rise of some – uh, academics saying, A, the market's efficient, very few, if anybody right. can beat it, and those who can, you don't know it's persistent, if it was luck, if it was whatever. And uh, there was a lot of um, academic defense of the idea of the advantages passive. That's right. Yeah, I mean, Burt Macchiel. Uh, sure. You know, random uh, walk down Wall Street. That's right, random walk down Wall Street. He was a Vanguard board member uh, mm-hmm. for many years. Charlie Ellis. Charlie Ellis, another one. Um, you know, the Losers Game, um, his book there. So there was a lot of academic research around it, and it started to become practical. People started to really see it and feel it, and um, that, that started to give us a little bit of wind uh, in our sales. So back in the, forget late 80s, even in the early 90s when you start to attract more capital, did you ever imagine, hey, in 20 years, 25 years, we'll be, you know, six, seven, eight billion, trillion dollars? Uh, no, uh, not at all. It was it was a tough go early, early on. Um, and Jack was adamant about, hey, cash flow and market share is an outcome. We have to just do what's, focus on doing what's right for investors. Don't worry about growth. You know, he really hammered that home um, mm-hmm. to us. So we didn't really think big like that. Uh, we were just trying to do the right thing. So yeah, I, I'd say absolutely not. Had no idea how big we'd be. When, when did it become clear that this was going to be a multi-trillion dollar fund? <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if there was ever a moment where I said, wow, this is, you know, we're big. Um, I do think after the global financial crisis, yeah. we really started to get momentum. Our Funds held up well. We served investors. Even during early. during the crisis. during the yeah, flow, we picked up share. Everybody saw outflows except Vanguard. That's right. We picked up share there, um, and I, I do think that that trusted brand people started to understand that they own the company, and you know the, the benefits of that structure are enormous and many. Um, and so, coming out of the financial cri- into the financial crisis, now the financial crisis, we really started to take off. Uh, I was in London at the time, and you could see, wow, things are really starting to happen here. You mentioned London. You served as head of Vanguard's UK and European operations. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Uh, it was a fabulous experience. I was coming off helping start our financial advisor business, uh, the, the business I lead today. I uh, did that for about six or seven years. And then Bill McNabb, the CEO at the time, asked me if I'd go and start a similar business in, in the UK and run the European operations. So packed up my wife and my four kids and, and went wow. to London. And it was a an unbelievable experience. It felt like the the old days at Vanguard. You know, uh-huh. you were coming starting in, up. starting up. I was employee number one in London. Um, <laughs> we're taking on high cost funds, active managers, sort of the industry, trying to bring transparency and low cost to the industry. And, and it was just really fun uh, to, to build that business. And we had a great team there. What Was that always supposed to be a, a finite amount of time or did something specific bring you back to the US? No, it was, uh, I was told three years, to five years, and I ended up being there seven years, and probably would have stayed even longer. But I uh, got the opportunity. Bill uh, McNabb again, who I know you know, mm-hmm. was CEO, and asked me if I'd come back and join senior staff and lead the FAS business, which was a lot bigger than when I left in mm-hmm. you know, uh, 2008. And I was thrilled to be able to do that. That's fantastic. So let's talk a little bit about the advisor services division. What exactly does it do, and what sort of clients? 
uh, and customers are you working with? Yeah, well, first of all, we work with uh, financial advisors of, of all types in the industry, uh, um, non-Vanguard financial advisors. So you've got broker-dealers, uh, independent registered investment advisors, RAs, and bank wealth advisors. And uh, you know, we have a, a team that serves those advisors and the home offices of, of those advisors, talking about Vanguard's product and educating about the product. We also do a lot of education around advice and behavioral finance and coaching and all these things to help advisors drive great outcomes for their clients. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about Advisors Alpha in a bit. Okay. Uh, but you mentioned broker-dealers. I did not realize they were part of uh, this group because I recall back in the day they used to charge for shelf space like supermarkets do for cereals. How, how does Vanguard operate and not advertise, not pay uh, shelf space. Yeah, uh, we, we still don't do that. We like the transparency of an explicit fee, but I think the move to fee-based advice in the broker-dealer community really helped drive that. So an advisor charges for the advice that they provide to clients, and that pays, uh, pays the bills. And so um, we, don't pay, we don't do the payment for distribution. Now, it's pretty limited to ETFs with mm-hmm. our broker-dealer relationships, not exclusively. So the, the model around ETFs is a little different. There isn't right. that same payment for like distribution services right. of mutual funds. That's right, Barry. Right. Huh, really interesting. And, and let's talk a little bit about the research and education that you provide. Is this aimed at the advisor community? Is it aimed at the investor public? Within your group, who's your focus? It's both. Um, you know, we do the, the typical stuff, market ec- economic outlooks and research there, product research. But importantly, helping advisors work with their clients, coaching them through tough times like this. Um, so we, we do have uh, materials and research targeted at the advisor, but we also help them out and target their end client. You know, Vanguard deals with tens of millions of, of individual investors, and we know how to speak to them uh, very clearly and very candidly and very openly. So we leverage that expertise, and we help advisors speak to their clients about you name it, market, savings, all, all the things that they talk to them about. So so I think it was Fran Kinnery yeah. at Vanguard came up with the concept of Advisors Alpha. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Advisors Alpha, um, we all know and believe very strongly today that uh, advisors help clients. And in fact, the Vanguard, which is a big shift from many years ago, we think most investors would be well served with um, using a financial advisor. And they bring a lot of value, right? So there's the, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll work with you and we'll develop goals and a plan how to get there. They'll, they'll construct a portfolio. Uh, they'll do tax planning, right? So they'll harvest losses to offset future gains. They'll do estate planning and other complex financial planning. And so what Fran and his team did, they did research and said, how, how much alpha does an advisor add through the services they provide? And, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to pin that down exactly, Barry, but we've come up with about three base, 300 basis points or three percentage points of alpha working with an advisor. And if you think about that, you know, you pay an advisor 50 basis points, 100 basis points, whatever, they're providing on average annually 3%. So really good value there. And a lot of that comes from, believe it or not, the behavioral coaching. To, to say the very least, yeah. that there was a study done not too long ago that showed when people panic out of the market, something like 30% of them never return back to yeah. equities. That that leaves a mark when it comes time to, that leaves to retire. That leaves a mark. Uh, you add in tax loss harvesting and just helping uh, with having a financial plan. Uh, I'm I'm a believer. Hey, that that's my day job. That's but, right. But I'm always curious to hear how you guys came up with that phrase, which is so funny because when I think of Vanguard, I think of beta. I don't think of alpha. Developing a a, a way to obtain alpha seems sort of uh, 
contrary. That's right. You can obtain alpha even even if you use all beta uh, as underlying investments. The real value is is the behavioral coaching, the tax management, and again, the, the more complex uh, value add around financial planning. So you mentioned um, uh, transparency and low fees. Price obviously has a big impact on long-term returns. How can Vanguard keep lowering its fees? At what point do you just run out of runway? <laughs> yeah, um, our fee cuts are not a pricing marketing strategy, Barry. It's, it's a function of the corporate structure of Vanguard. So we're really a mutual, mutual fund company. What I mean by that is if you're an investor in one of our funds, you own a little pro rata piece of Vanguard. And if you think about that from a leadership perspective, a management perspective, uh, you focus on one constituent, you the investor, and that's it. Don't have to worry about my shareholders on Wall Street. I don't have to worry about some family or family office that owns me. It's all about you. So as we grow, become more efficient, we get scale, we sort of make a profit. And we take that profit and we do two things with it. One, we invest in the business to better serve you, right? So a better digital experience if you're a retail investor, more services for advisors. We also take that profit and drive down expense ratios. And really, that's what we're all about, delivering value back to those investors in our funds who own the company. And as we grow and grow, that scale helps us drive down the expense ratios. So, so when I think of owning a financial, I think of three things. Uh, first, uh, I control, I get to vote my shares in a proxy. Second, if there's a dividend distribution, I capture some of that. And third, if it's ever sold, I participate in the equity. When right. it's a mutual, yep. those things all kind of roll into one. They do. Yeah, we. I mean, we could pay you a dividend, but it's actually more tax efficient if we lower your fees. Right. Huh. So that that's really uh, that's really quite fascinating. Um, we talked about research and education. Let Let's talk a little bit about portfolio analytics, financial planning tools. I didn't know you guys have a healthcare calculator. Yep. Tell us about some of the software and other analytical tools you guys have made available. Yeah. So. Um I think one of the unique things about Vanguard is we serve a lot of different markets, right? So we serve financial advisors, we serve retail investors, and we actually have a, an advice business of our own. And through that advice business, we've developed a lot of capabilities, whether it's the thought leadership, Advisors mm -hmm. Alpha uh, that we talked about before, or some technology capabilities for our advisors to use. And what we've done is taken some of those capabilities and deliver them to the FAS clients, the financial advisor services client, to help them drive better outcomes for their, their clients. So. Healthcare cost estimator is a really great example. We partnered with a firm in this space and developed a, a module to help with healthcare costs and determining healthcare costs in uh, retirement. And we offer that module and a lot of materials around it and client and client materials to advisors to help them talk about healthcare with their clients. It's it's typically the largest expense people have. They have trouble getting their head around it, and it's a really valuable tool. Just an example of you know one of the things we do. Huh, quite, quite interesting. So one of the other giants in the space is BlackRock. Yep. They have a, a risk management technology. How do you guys think about risk management? What does that mean to advisors who are trying to serve their clients in a somewhat volatile environment? Yeah, we have a, a really good risk management tool as well. Uh, it's, it's through our portfolio and analytics and consulting service. And uh, you, you know, you run a portfolio through it, and it'll give you all your risk exposures. Um, we can consult with you on, hey, you might be overexposed here or underexposed. Did you know that? Oh, you didn't? Do you want to do something about it? We can help you with that. So we provide a similar service uh, to our clients. They, they deem it really, really valuable. Um, it's interesting. I, I get, uh, every day I get uh, net promoter scores from clients, and, cli and this service in particular, 
I, I can't remember a time when it hasn't been a, like a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10. They see it as incredibly valuable. And one thing they cite verbatim all the time is objectivity. You know, hey, it really feels like Vanguard's trying to help me out, not trying to necessarily sell me a product. And so uh, we distribute through that through thousands of advisors. We do thousands of those engagements a year. Hmm. Quite, quite interesting. So there's a quote I really love, um, and I wanted to get your feedback on it. There has never been a better time to be a retail investor than right now. True or false? True. Why is that? Why I'm, is now so great to be? I'm an optimistic guy, Barry. But but seriously, I think um, if you think about the markets and market structure, you know, you, you think about this. You can get exposure to the entire stock market in ETF for two and a half, three basis points. That's pretty powerful. Pennies, pennies, pennies. Um, think about trading. I'm, I'm buying individual. It's free. It's free, right? Advice. More accessible now than ever. I can decide to do it digitally. I can go hybrid and have digital and a, an advisor with me, or I can you know, see my advisor down the street and go in person. So there's so many services there. Uh, there's so many tools for investors. There's so many tools for advisors to help investors. I think it's a fabulous time. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And I wasn't referring to what's going on in the market. I just mean generally, in if general. you have a long-term perspective, it's cheap, it's easy, it's transparent. You know, you go back to the early days of Jack Bogle, and we'll talk about that in a, a little bit, about how hard it was to simply try and come up with an execution for here's the whole market or here's the S&P 500. Right. Yep. You couldn't do that 30, 40, 50 years ago. It was practically impossible. That's right. It was it was tough. The technology wasn't there. The costs, the, fr the frictional costs were high. You know, in trading, um, it's really um, come in favor of, of retail investors. Huh. Quite, quite interesting. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business, demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. 
the lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. So when you began at Vanguard back in 1988, Jack Bogle was the CEO. Jack Brennan followed him. Bill McNabb. Now it's Tim Buckley. That That's kind of a, a, a list of, of CEOs. Tell us about the way the CEOs you work with impact how the firm operates. Yeah, I was fortunate to work with all four CEOs of Vanguard. I worked with Jack Bogle for about eight years uh, before he retired. And, you know, Jack was the visionary, the, the, the guy that would get everybody motivated that we were doing something special. We were small at the time. Uh, people thought we were a little quirky. We were out in Pennsylvania, you know, right. far away from Wall Street. Uh, but he was such a motivator and instilled this, this sense of, purpose you know you're, you're part of something bigger than yourself which was really exciting and you know jack his words he he could give a speech like nobody else and you know what he wrote in the press and on interviews he was just so inspirational so the perfect guy to to get us really going and then jack brennan took over after uh jack bogle uh retired hand-picked successor we started to starting to grow a little bit there and i think jack brennan mm-hmm. was the right guy at that time as well and there's a common theme here you'll hear from me about the right guy at the right time jack was helping us grow up and mature so we were growing like crazy and you know we're a financial services firm so growth is good but you have to have control and processes and quality and you know you got to make sure you can handle the volumes both from an investment perspective but also importantly from a processing and and client service perspective and jack was great at that he brought in you know the old total quality management programs and centers for excellence and really matured us as an operator he retired and uh in 2008 bill mcnab took over we all know what happened in 2008 yeah (laughs) but again i think bill was was the right guy at the right time there was such turmoil and you know bill he's a calm Mm -hmm. guy um and and really you know harnessed the power of the team to get us through that tough environment uh leaned really hard into leadership development you know we uh we had a bunch of really great technical experts but as you grow and mature you want to have a, a strong leadership team and bill really invested in that lean of that and that's that's a big part of his legacy he also looked uh, outside of the u.s to to grow a little bit more aggressively there and uh, again right guy at the right time bill retires tim buckley takes over tim's a fabulous ceo um you think about his background in today's environment very interesting he was chief information officer head of all it at vanguard and then chief investment officer Think about the trends in our, our industry today, right. tech, the, the intersection of investments, advice, and technology. And Tim's got that intersection in his portfolio of experience, which is pretty incredible. And he's a really smart guy, very disciplined, very creative. Um, and I think the way we think about the world now has changed uh, under Tim. I think we're much more focused on outcomes and driving great outcomes for clients. We're much more nimble than we ever were uh, through some new management systems of pushing decision-making down and being more nimble. And uh, it, it's been really nice to be a big organization, yet pretty responsive. Hmm. That, that's really uh, quite quite interesting. You were in London in 0809, is yeah. that right? So, yep. so this is a story. I, I'm curious if you saw or witnessed this from your perch in the UK at the time. Uh, Bill McNabb tells a story about, I guess it's just part of regular quality control. They audit 
customer service reps on the phone with Vanguard investors, and there's a pretty clear freakout going on as the market melts down in, in 08, and this eventually reach, reaches McNabb, or maybe he was listening on, on one of these calls, and does an all-hands-on-deck conversation and says, listen, we're growing like a weed. There are going to be no layoffs. We're hiring. Stop worrying about your jobs and serve the client and, and make yep. everybody comfortable. Um, what was your view of that from from uh, across the ponds? Yeah, I think, um, look, we, we, we ask our employees to be loyal to us, and I think you know they deserve uh, loyalty as well. And there was a lot of uncertainty. Um, people were worried about their jobs. I mean, the market takes such a big hit, you know. Sure. Get paid off of assets under management, and they all of a sudden declined by a significant amount. So a lot of people were worried, and I think Bill's leadership got us through that, um, saying, hey, well, phones have slowed down, lots have slowed down, but we got plenty of work for you to do. And I think uh, the team really appreciated that, and I think it allowed them to serve clients better and, and more calmly. From my vantage point, honestly, I was employee number one in, in London, as I mentioned, so I, I had my head down. Um, you know, another thing Bill did that I thought was really great at the time is I'm in London, sky's falling, everybody's laying off. Bill said, no, 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 we're going to keep investing. Just go with your business plan. I was able to get great people that were dislodged or not dislodged, but wanted stability, uh, wanted a great brand, and, and came to Vanguard. So we hired great people. We were able to buy advertising really cheap. I mean, we were able to really lean in, and that's the beauty of Vanguard's corporate structure. We can really focus on the long term, and hence Bill could say that to, to uh, employees. Hey, we're we're with we're in this for the long term. We're committed to you. I don't have to worry about a quarterly earnings call. So so let's talk about that brand a little bit. Yep. What what makes it so unique? What create what makes that culture so special and different from what we typically see uh, in the world of finance? Yeah, I think people feel in the Vanguard brand uh, a sense of trust, and you know they get that their owners they're what's most important. All decisions are around doing what's best for them, and I think that just permeates and and we the brand we're known as a really trusted brand. And financial services—that's a really good thing, obviously, uh, when you're when you have people's money, and then it creates a culture of again um, being part of something bigger than yourself. You know, it's not—it's not just a business; it's a cause, it's a purpose. We're trying to make people's lives better by helping them save for retirement, fund college, buy a home, whatever their financial dreams are. We're there to help them, and they know that people—people people understand that, and it's all about them, and uh, permeates both the brand and the culture within Vanguard. So given, given that framework of, of brand and culture, obviously lots of things have changed since the days of Jack Bogle. He wasn't a big fan of ETFs. He wasn't a big fan of uh, international investing. There are probably half a dozen different um, initiatives that Vanguard has come up with that Jack isn't a fan of. How has that culture persisted even as the company itself uh, has gone through pretty substantial changes, not just growth, but the products you're offering. Yeah, so um, it's funny. Jack Jack had a lot of things that were off limits. I think I mentioned earlier, uh, we weren't allowed to say sell. We weren't allowed to call products products. Uh, we had to call them programs for some reason. Uh, couldn't stand ETFs. Uh, wasn't interested in international. Didn't think you had to do it. Um, either business or investing. Wasn't a big fan of advice. You know, Jack was like, you don't need really. It. Oh yeah, Jack. Jack was, you don't need advisor. Total stock market, total bond market, total international, throw them together, that's all you need. It, isn't that advice in and of itself? It, it, wasn't he just acting as an advisor by providing that portfolio and telling people yeah. when to buy it and how long to hold it for? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, he, he was an advisor. He didn't like advice, he didn't like selling. 
And it's a funny story, true story, uh, Barry. I, I know Jack very, very well. Uh, you know, worked with him a long time. Actually, spent some time one summer with him and his family. We were, we happened to be um, vacationing up at Lake Placid, and my family and I went and visited him. And spent a day on the boats. Know them really, really well. And I got on a plane to go to Boston, and there was Jack um, in coach, of course. <laughs> and my seat was right next. And he's to his. tall. Uh, he he was. he was back in the day <laughs> yeah. anyway. Yeah, he he got a little smaller as he aged, but um, yeah. So he's he's sitting there, and he would never fly anything, but but coach and um, but my seat was right next to his, and I hadn't really hung out with Jack a whole lot. He was you know off doing the research and and um, you know testifying to Congress and doing other things, not not involved in the company at all. Hey, Tom's you know glad glad we're sitting next to each other. So what are you doing these days? So Jack hates ETFs, right. doesn't like advisors, <laughs> and he hates sales. And I had to tell him that I was the head of sales selling ETFs to financial advisors. <laughs> and Barry, I'm not kidding, he folded his arms and looked straight ahead and didn't talk to me the rest of the flight. Come on. True that's story. Hilarious. Absolutely true oh story. Oh, my God. So, yeah, we've come a long way since then. I mean, I, you know, I, I think Jack's distaste for ETFs is he worried them that they would be used incorrectly. That it would a, just, it's yeah. a fair worry, it but is a fair it's worry. pretty clear that those fears were mostly unfounded. They, they are mostly unfounded. And, you know, you think about what ETFs, it made indexing so much more accessible. You know, financial advisors could now, um, you know, really use indexing in a big way through ETFs. Um, it just became so much more accessible to public and helped it, uh, indexing, which we know is a good thing for investors, grow and grow and grow. So Gus Sauter, who was our chief investment sure. officer at the time, was a big Gus, proponent yeah. of, of ETFs and felt that that's they they may be disruptive and be the new way to index and I think he was uh, spot on there and so we leaned into them and Jack didn't love it but you know we did it and we're we're happy we did it providing advice if you think about driving investor outcomes we have great low cost product what else can you do to help investors um, get better outcomes and it's financial advice so we have our own financial advice but also importantly working with my clients working with those financial advisors to help them do better for their clients, really important uh, to the mission. So I would say some of the execution has changed a little bit, but the mission is absolutely there. Uh, Low cost, broadly diversified, driving great outcomes, helping investors get the best chance for investment success. So there's a crazy stat that I've never been able to validate. You're probably the right person Uh to ask. I read somewhere that something like 97% of certified financial planners in the state of Pennsylvania work for Vanguard. Is, is that remotely true? I can't I, I can't verify that, but I would guess it's probably pretty close. Really? Yeah. That that's just that's just astonishing. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit um, about the Vanguard effect. My friend Eric Balchunas, who is a Bloomberg uh, intelligence analyst uh, wrote a column a couple of years ago called The Vanguard Effect, and eventually turned that into a book, The The Bogle Effect, where he points out not only has Vanguard driven down costs for their own clients, if that was the end of the story, all right, it'd be an interesting little tale, but what's happened is through market forces and competition, everybody else in the financial services has been forced to follow suit. And Balchunas calculates it's hundreds of billions, soon to be a trillion dollars in cost sa- savings. Tell us a little bit about the Vanguard effect. Yeah, um, I think it's true. <laughs> I agree with Eric that uh, you know Vanguard are, are set up structurally to drive costs lower, became very competitive. Investors wanted low cost, came to Vanguard in droves. Uh, competitors had to respond or, or not grow, and so they cut price. 
which we all know that compounds over long periods of time, and it's a good thing for investors. And uh, we saw that as we started to really grow in the U.S., that took effect in a big way. But I'll tell you, the, the first time I heard the headline, the Vanguard effect, is I went to London in 2008. We launched our first set of funds in the U.K. in June of 2009. And right before that, a couple of our competitors, before ours were actually officially out, they cut their price. And there was an article in the FT, and it, it talked about the Vanguard effect. Huh. We didn't even launch yet. We weren't even growing. We didn't even know if we were going to be successful. Just the threat of moving into a space. Right. So, so how does Vanguard think about competitors? A, do you even think about competitors, or do you just focus on doing your own thing? At a certain point, you have to be aware of what's going on yeah. at places like State Street or BlackRock or, yeah. or Wisdom yeah. Tree. Yeah. Look, we're, we're certainly aware of the competition, but we've always said, do what's right, and customers will, will follow. And so for us, it's very, very easy to do what's right. We just don't have any conflicts of, of interest in any decision-making we have. It's all about it, um, the end investor. So you only offer them quality products. You don't go to fads so they don't get burned. You communicate very clearly and candidly about the risks. You know, you talk about return, but talk about the risks as well to manage expectations. And when you do what's right, you get a lot of trust built up, and you grow. So should I not hold my breath waiting for the Vanguard crypto ETF? Is that a... Uh it's unlikely we'll have a crypto ETF, Barry. Um, you know, the the way we look at crypto is it doesn't really have an intrinsic value. It's more of a supply-demand thing, so gotcha. that feels more like speculation than more investing. More like a commodity than a, yeah, a, but, an investable asset exactly, from but, Vanguard. Exactly, but the technology behind crypto is pretty interesting. Yeah, right? no, Blockchain, no and that. there's some great great use cases for that, and we think that's the future in, in many aspects of the financial services huh. market. Re really interesting. All right, so we mentioned Belchunas's book. Let's talk about Robin Wiggleworth's book, Trillions. Yeah. You know, uh, we we all sometimes feel like the area we work in, our space, oh, I know the history of that. I'm really knowledgeable about that. But as I read that, I was genuinely shocked as to the history of both the industry and what took place in passive investing and indexing. Tell us a little bit about how Trillions resonated over at Vanguard. Yeah, it was. Uh, I thought it was really well written. Um, you know, I lived part of that revolution, if you will, of, of indexing. But there are certainly things that I learned from that book. Uh, some of the other characters that were involved, some of the really early days, and, and the characters around that as well. So it resonated really well. It was interesting for me because. I helped start our ETF business um, back in the early 2000s, and a lot of those folks um, I knew, and uh, we were trying to get these things going, and, and it was a, a really interesting time. Like, once again, you kind of felt like you were doing something disruptive and uh, really exciting, but I thought it was a fascinating history. I would recommend that book to, to anybody that's interested in investing at all. I think it's just got a great history of, of something that was a Super disruptive, but maybe a little bit more of a slower burn than, than people might think. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was definitely a slow burn, and then it exploded. Um, and I think to some degree, uh, I think the inherent advantages of ETFs over mutual funds are, are part of that. Uh, I know some people like the ability to just buy when they want to buy and not have to wait till the end of the day and get uh, mutual fund pricing. But to me, the single biggest advantage of ETFs seems to be enormous tax benefit of not paying for somebody else who's selling. That's right. um, explain, first off, if mutual funds were introduced today, would they even be approved if it was a new product? Wait, this is much worse than ETFs. Why, why would we want to approve that? Uh, how do you think about the differences between the two products? Yeah, look, I, I think mutual funds are still a very good product. Um, you know, they, they may not go away in, in the too short of term. Um, 
it's, it's a really good product. I think there's some benefits to mutual funds. Um, if you think about 401k plans, they That's really have. That's where I was yeah, about to yeah. go. You, they, you read my mind. Yeah. They certainly work well in, in a quali- any qualified retirement. You, you don't right. need an ETF. You don't. Um, you, know, you, you only need to strike an NAV once a day. Um, so there, there's that aspect of it. Index mutual funds are pretty tax efficient mm-hmm. as well. Not quite as tax efficient uh, for most as uh, the ETF. You still have that changeover. And I recall yep. when something like Tesla was added, it had a big disruptive can, impact. So right. if that's a mutual fund that's not in a qualified account, there could be ramifications versus the straight up ETF. That's right. That, that, that's absolutely right. And then if you go to active strategies, uh, you know, ETFs right now, most of the growth is in transparent ETFs. Mm-hmm. Um, non-transparent are starting to come along. Um, but that's only for equity funds right now, equity assets, not fixed income. So to the extent you've got an active manager that feels that they're not very comfortable disclosing holdings on a daily basis, they're, they're going to want to keep right. that in a mutual fund until the technology advances there. Uh, there's also, Barry, there's a lot of embedded gains in some of these mutual funds, so right. you don't necessarily want to jump ship. You might shift to ETFs, but uh, selling out your old low-cost basis holdings doesn't make a lot of sense, so maybe that's some of the reason as well. Huh. Makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about another product. Can we use the word product? Yeah. Um, custom indexing. You guys also are direct indexing. You, you call it personalized indexing. Yeah. Um, I was skeptical about this 10 years ago. Over the past few years, I've... Um, come to embrace it. Tell us a little bit about why Vanguard does direct indexing and, and what makes your product unique to Vanguard. Sure. Um, so first of all, just quick education, um, personalized indexing, custom indexing, direct indexing, they're all the same thing. Um, it's a little different structure than your, your ETF. And, and by the way, ETFs are super tax efficient and, and great in many ways. But an ETF, you buy, you buy VTI, you own a share of VTI, not the underlying holdings. Right. In direct indexing or personalized indexing, you actually hold the basket of underlying securities individually. So all 500 S and P 500, 500 stocks, all two. What is VTI 2000 something? Yes, 2300. Something like that. It's a, it's it's a. I hate large those, uh, <laughs> end of month reports. I know. Just pages. Lot, and pages. Lots of page through for sure. You own the underlying securities, and it's basically a separate account, but very scalable. And I'll talk about that in a second. And what you can do with individual securities, it allows you to do two two things pretty well. One, be very tax efficient. So since you're holding 500 securities instead of one, you can look at losses and in individual securities, harvest those losses, and you can uh, allocate them to go against future gains. So it's very tax tax efficient, and that's probably the biggest use case with. So ta- that that tax efficiency and that adds quite a bit of alpha. You know, go back to advisors alpha. Doing that well, you can add a, a substantial amount of alpha to what. What sort account. of numbers are you looking at? Because I know 2020 was just an outrageously unusual year. Yeah, for that. I, I, you know, um, it can be pretty substantial. I mean, it can be a couple percent at, mm-hmm. at times. Um, so uh, it's very, very valuable. Now, it doesn't. It's not for everybody, obviously. You know, your average investor right. may not benefit as much, and then their a tax efficient ETF might be the way to go. So it's a great use case. Another use case is. Uh, Investors being able to express views on the market. Meaning their personal values along exactly. the lines of ESG, oh, that's right. but without buying an ESG fund, you can really customize it. That's right. So you could say, hey, I, you know, the, the, one of the challenges with ESG products is everybody's got a different right. definition of what ESG is. So, hey, I, I want to exclude X, Y, or Z, but I don't want to exclude A, B, and C. You can do that. 
in this structure. Right. And you can, we, you we've can had customer. clients who say we don't want cigarettes or vice stocks. We've had other people say, no, no, I'm fine with an index. I just don't want any gun stocks. That's right. Um, yep. And we've had other people say, hey, I don't want anybody associated with abortion providers. Right. It's not a left or a right thing. It's you pick what your values are and you can express that in your portfolio. It doesn't differ appreciably from the index other than that narrow um, group. Uh, the exception being if you say, hey, I don't want any energy, any oil, any carbon, well, that'll differ dramatically. But most of the other tweaks seem to be around the edges. That's right. You, you with What you do with direct indexing is you optimize around something. So if you exclude five stocks, you optimize and overweight the others and minimize tracking error uh, versus the index. So you're right. It's tends not to be too much unless you exclude something like energy, which would be a big chunk. Huh. Really, really quite intriguing. Jack Bogle once said, the first sign Vanguard's mission has created a better world for the investor will be when our market share begins to erode. Has that not happened yet? You guys don't seem to be losing market share. No. Uh, in, in fact, we're gaining market share uh, in just about all businesses. Um, there's a lot of opportunity still out there. I mean, uh, in my business, we've got maybe a 20% share or something like that. Lots to go there. Even on the on the retail side, tons to go there. You think about the advice market and the retirement market. And then international, geez, there's, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there. So we still have to bring the mission to many millions more people. So if you're still taking share, at what point do you become the biggest investing firm in the world? I don't know. I, I've read some articles recently that are making projections on that. But again, uh, I've got... Jack Bogle's voice in my head from 1989 saying that growth doesn't matter. Just do what's right for investors. So we don't think about that too much. So so I promised we would talk about the state of, of the world today. 2022 has been um, just a very challenging environment. I don't think we've seen both stocks and bonds yeah. down double digits since 1980, 81, something like that. So that's 40 plus years. What's it like working with asset managers during a, a stressful time like this? Yeah, it's, um, you know, assets are down 20% and you get paid off assets in, in this business, which tends to be a good thing because stocks and bonds tend to go up over time. But um, yeah, so it's, it's a bit stressful. Clients are stressed. You spend a lot of time talking to your clients, trying to bring perspective, the long-term perspective, not depend. That advisor's alpha. Even if you're not an advisor and you're talking to somebody on the phone, you're trying to say, hey, Calm down, put this in perspective. Talk them off the ledge. You talk them off the ledge. And uh, my, my clients, the advisors, are really earning their fees right now and, and <laughs> um, providing a tremendous amount of value. Uh, so there's a lot of phone volume, a lot of digital volume. Uh, so we're, we're very, very, very busy. Um, and, you know, it's all about calming people down. We'll get through this. You look at the long term. Um, things tend to work out. We, You know, our investing philosophy is, first of all, get an objective. Put a plan together. Make sure it's a low-cost plan. And the other thing is be disciplined, right? Stick to your plan. Just get rid of the noise. This is big noise. This isn't just some little blip. This is big noise. But, you know, get rid of the noise and be disciplined. Most times, that's around rebalancing. This time, stocks and bonds are both going down, so you're not rebalancing so much. But, you know, March of 2020 was a great opportunity to rebalance and, and add some value. So it's really sticking to that long-term approach and that discipline is what we really recommend. So you sit in a unique perch. You you not only are watching what's going on at Vanguard from the inside, but you're looking out at the world of advisors. And, and as we've seen over the past 20 years, fiduciary fee-based advisors have been capturing share at the expense of transactional brokerage. Um, from your perch, tell us what you see of the world of finance looking out over the next decade. How are things going to continue What's going to change? What do you think about when you think about yeah. the future of finance? I think financial services, um, 
for a long time had been a bit stodgy, right? So, you know, you, you focused on returns and um, you provided good returns. You got some flows and you might do some advertising at brand, but client expectations have increased incredibly. So they're not comparing Vanguard to Fidelity anymore. They're comparing Vanguard to my experience with Uber. And so, huh. you know, I think um, you have to have great products. You have to be innovative there. You have to keep fees low. But the client experience is, is it's happening now. But I think that's a, a huge next frontier for financial services, really nailing the client experience like some of the other industries have done. And, and we're on a journey there. We're getting better with it. But there's a lot of opportunity there. I think advice is going to continue to grow. Um, do-it-yourself is, is a lot tougher than Jack Bogle uh, said it was. Uh, there's a lot to it. And again, we think most investors are better served by some sort of advice. So we, we see the growth in that. And we see the, the intersection of advice and investments and technology to bring mass customization. And, and if you think about what we just talked about, direct indexing and personalized indexing, that's customization. The technology allows you to do that en masse now and scale that. So that mass customization is going to be really important. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY.
Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. I know I only have you for a limited amount of time, so let me jump to my favorite questions that we ask all of our guests, starting with, you have uh, a bunch of kids. Yeah. What were you doing to keep them busy uh, during the pandemic? Tell us what you were watching on either Netflix or Amazon. Yeah, so... Um I, my, all my kids were either in uh, were in college during during the pandemic. I got two out now. Were, were they at school or did they, were they come at back school. home? They oh, were all, really? They did come home. Mm-hmm. So uh, my wife and I were empty nesters for a few months. Right. We were celebrating that, and we're then also so quiet, <laughs> delightful, and then so quiet. Something. Us and the two dogs, and you know, just life was very very chill. <laughs> and then you know, pandemic hits, and you know, I, I I'm doing a, I'm like a commando coming to get my son out of Manhattan and bring him home. And um, so they all came home, and it was fabulous. You know, it was. We actually look at it as a little bit of a gift because uh, they were gone and they came back for a few months. So right. we did a lot of cooking. Uh, they started a garden. My one daughter bought some chickens, some crazy things <laughs> like that. Did a lot of streaming. Um, I don't remember what we were watching at the time. Silly things like The Tiger King. Don't know if you saw that on Netflix. A crazy show. Um, documentary. Did a lot of streaming together. Played a lot of games, too. Like, went back old school and, right. you know, cards and um, backgammon and things like that. So it was really, really good quality family time. Huh. That sounds like fun. Tell us about some of your early mentors who helped shape your career. Yeah. Um, when I first came to Vanguard in 88, I was in a, a business where we were providing uh, administrative and accounting services for actually competitors. And, and the guy that ran the division was a guy called Bill Vistardis. And... Um, we, we hit it off really well from my first day there, and he was a great mentor. You know, I'm, I'm 22, not right out of school, but out of school year, and he really uh, helped me develop some confidence, believed in me, talked about how to, you know, really helped me build relationships, taught me how to write well, to be honest with you. Oh, really? So really good early mentor, and then Bill McNabb and I first intersected, I think it was around 1993, 1994. I actually applied for a job in his group and didn't get it, but we, we connected through that, and, and my entire career, Bill, was... A great mentor for me um, and you know gave me a lot of opportunities to to grow and develop so I really appreciate that there was also a guy when I worked in our fixed income group um, he passed away unfortunately a number of years ago but Mike Proplasky and um, he, he taught me about the fixed income market and how to be an analyst and how to manage portfolios and you know that was tremendous and then taking that to all my other positions having that investment that hands-on investment knowledge was just gold for me uh, the rest of my career so that's a, that's a few of the early early days uh, the, the folks who mentored me. I, I've heard the name, for sure. Yeah. Um, let's talk about books. What are some of your favorites, and what are you reading right now? This is a little embarrassing, but um, <laughs> I, I, if you think about the, the theme of a couple of these books, a couple of my favorites. I love Bonfire of the Vanities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it... it uh, I wouldn't say that's embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a highly regarded... Yeah, uh, it was cool because it was, you know, kind of a, a story about New York... In, in you know the late and 80s finance and, and Wall Street and then kind of doing something wrong and losing everything so it always scared me you know uh, scared me straight if you will um, and then you know around the same time maybe a couple years later it was Liar's Poker which I just found fascinating Michael Lewis book uh, just, just had its 30th anniversary yeah. reissue recently yeah, and it just, it, I got to tell you it holds up pretty well the great the great part about that book is he wrote it to talk people out of going to Wall Street and I think it inspired millions to do it um, you know so. Uh, Two of my old, you know, favorite books. Right now, I'm reading a book. Did you grow up in in the tri-state yeah, area? Yeah. yeah. So you remember Crazy Eddie? Sure, of course, Eddie Ed- Antar. And what what were his prices? They were insane. That's right, they were. Um, there's a book right now called Retail Gangster. I don't know if oh, it's a really? new book. Just just came out in the last couple oh, months. Oh, I'm a buyer. And it is uh, the story of Eddie Anton. And you know, I'm a, I'm about a third of the way through it, and it's fascinating. He was a 
character and a criminal, but um, really who wrote retail. That wasn't his brother-in-law who wrote it. Who was the accountant who went to jail and and no. was the one who turned no, on. No, but he is prominently featured in the book. Yeah, he's a fascinating yeah, guy. I don't, um, I don't, he didn't write it. But I don't. I don't remember who the author is, but it's a. Uh, been good so far. When, when I was in college, I worked at the local Lafayette, if you're a New York region. Yeah. So you remember Lafayette yeah. a million years ago. And <laughs> they had this, um, uh, Crazy Eddie's had this wonderful um, scam they would do. When they were out of stock on something, they would cut the price in half. And then once it came back into stock, it went back to regular price. So you're selling it for 200 bucks. <laughs> Crazy Eddie has it for $99. So you call up Crazy Eddie. Hey, I want to buy three of these. Uh, we're out of stock. So you should go get it at Crazy Eddie's. They don't have it. it when, when it's in stock, it's 200 When it's out of stock, it's... That's people insane. wouldn't believe you. Yeah. They would think, it's insane. Yeah. Their prices They're are productive. literally insane. The people used to think the guy on the commercial I know. was Crazy Eddie, Not. and that was just an actor. Just an actor, and you know what I did when I when I I read the, uh, about the book, I think in the the journal or in Bloomberg or something like that, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. So yeah, got the, and then I went on YouTube and and looked at a bunch of the old commercials and brought back childhood mes- oh, memories. For and that sure. guy, you know, he was. He was something. He would have the Santa Claus hat on during the Christmas. That's and, right. Yeah. That's right. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, that they were ubiquitous, both both the ads and and Crazy Eddie. Yeah. At one point in time, they were like a couple of dozen um, stores, and uh, they blew up spectacularly. Yeah, they yes. did. They did. Quite quite interesting. Um, so our last two questions, starting with, what sort of advice would you give to a recent college grad who is interested in a career in either investments, ETFs, mutual funds, financial advice, what would you uh, tell a recent college grad? Well, I, I have a couple recent college grads. Mm-hmm. My twins graduated about a year ago, and what I told them was, um, and it's not necessarily specific to finance, but um, it certainly applies, and that is pick a company, not a job. And, and what I meant by that is find a company that aligns with your values um, and you know, do something that you're interested in there. Uh, don't worry about your job, your first job, your second job, your third, whatever. But if you align with a company, it could be there forever. You can have a career there. And obviously, I'm biased. I've been at Vanguard 34 years. I stumbled onto Vanguard and happened to find a company that aligns with my values. I got lucky. They they, they grew tremendously. But I think it's really important. Yeah, money's nice. Um, but being happy at your work and being satisfied and, and having an organization that aligns with what you care about, I think, is more important than anything. And you'll have a lot more longevity and happiness in your career if you do that. And our final question, what do you know about the world of investing today that you wish you knew back in 1988 or so when you were first getting started? Yeah, um, a couple things. And these are just Jack Bogle principles. And of course, I listened to him, but I may have I may have strayed a little bit um, here and there. But first of all, it's really hard to consistently pick winners, um, hence the, the appeal of indexing. But yeah, you, you might get a winner. You might get a few winners, but it's, it's hard to do that over time. And, and sort of as a co- corollary to that is... Stay away from fads. I, I did get caught up my personally in the dot-com era a little bit. And, you know, I had my long-term 401k investments and all broadly diversified Vanguard funds. But I had a, a brokerage account and made some mistakes on companies like Vertical Net. Uh, I was going to say JDSU, <laughs> Nortel. I remember yeah, this, that. You know, and, and so look, be careful of the fads. And um, given my, my children age and, and their interest in investing, you know, growing up in an, an investing house, uh, they they – told me I was old and stodgy, uh, you know, be, not being excited about crypto or some of the meme stocks. Uh, are and, your kids apes? Are they NFT fans? Or No, they, they're, uh, they all 
well, compliance, they all have to invest at Vanguard. So <laughs> they're, they're broadly diversified in low-cost funds, as you would imagine. But they're really interested. And, of course, all their friends are, oh, I made so much money on this and that. Until they gave it Until all Until they didn't, right, yeah. Right. So um, stay away from the trends. Just focus on the long term. Have some discipline. The other thing is, and I was fortunate to get this advice. I showed up my first day at Vanguard in 1988, did my onboarding. They said, oh, we got this 401k plan. I'm like, mm, not really sure what that is. They're like, oh, just max out your contribution. That's what everybody does. And we'll, we'll match up to 10 or 11%, whatever it is. And I just did it. Right. And you know, that's 34 years ago. That yeah. adds up. Oh, for sure. So one of the Especially lessons Especially with is, that match and growing tax that's deferred. That's right. Growing tax deferred. So, hey, just, you know, time is on your side with investing. So start young, even if it's a little bit and it adds up over time. I, I am genuinely shocked when we sit down with a potential client and, and one of the things that comes up is why are you throwing away free money? If your firm is going to match up to, you know, four, five, six percent is pretty standard That's these right. days. If the firm is going to give you five percent uh, of your salary to put into your 401k, why would you say no to that? It's free. I, I understand that there are bubbles we all want, but it's not like, yeah. you know, you don't even feel it. Yeah, it, it's it's not like it's that big a chunk That's of cash right. yep. and free money. Uh, and yet, you know, whenever people talk about rational investors, why do people say no to free money? That seems to be somewhat irrational. Absolutely right. So my, my daughter tried to say no, and she she's in New York, and she said, it's really expensive. I said, I'll match it. So you put it in, the company will match it, and I'll match it. And so we did that for a year and weaned her off and she realized that she could do it. So <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> hey, hey, Tom, thank you for being so generous with your time. We have been speaking with Tom Rampula. He is the managing director of Vanguard's Financial Advisor Services Division. If you enjoy this conversation, well, be sure and check out on any of the previous, I don't know, 430 we've had over the past eight years. You can find those at iTunes, Spotify, and now YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast from. We love your comments, feedback, and suggestions. You can write to us at mibpodcast at bloomberg.net. Uh, sign up for my daily reading list at ritholtz.com. Follow me on Twitter at ritholtz. I would be remiss if I did not thank the crack staff that helps these conversations get put together each and every week. Uh, starting with my producer is Paris Wald. Uh, my head of research is Sean Russo. Sebastian Escobar is our audio engineer. Atika Valbrun is my project manager. I'm Barry Ritholtz. You've been listening to Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, let's face it, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. There's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.